This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. Welcome to this really special episode. I had a huge treat when I caught up with one of my childhood heroes who has got experience of multiple sclerosis, Karen Franklin, MBE, who I remember from her clothes show days when I was a teenager. She's a fashion and identity commentator. She's a visiting professor of diverse selfhood at Kingston School of Art. And today we're talking all things humanity, inclusivity, clothes and their effect on our moods and our thoughts. So here I am with Karen Franklin and I'm really looking forward to talking all things clothes, colours, selfhood and having a really good chat. So welcome to the show Karen. Thank you very much. I know I've got loads that I want to talk to you about, but I thought that where I was coming from is my own experience of not being able to wear what I want to wear, not being able to get dressed always very easily, not being able to wear high heels. So I'm sitting in the garden in my croc sandals because I can no longer wear flip-flops. And it's just a massive change that is wrapped up with mm. my health condition. And um, so when I, have, I, when I saw that there was an opportunity to talk to somebody about how I can and how everybody else can become more positive as a result of how they look, thought I've got to talk to Karen. So could you sort of tell us a little bit about your background, your experiences and what you really try to focus on? Okay, so um, first of all, what I would like to do is maybe give you and um, everyone who's listening just a a bit of immediate um, kind of help, inspiration, comfort feeling about the conundrum that you've just highlighted. Uh, What we are seeing is more and more companies recognizing that there are services to be provided in clothing that as yet have been ignored. Now, you know, and I know that business follows profit and that money talks. And so we understand that there is the purple pound, as, as uh, everyone knows, um, is, is unexploited. And so therefore, um, companies are waking up to the fact that actually producing garments for the thin white teenager um, and aiming all their marketing at that person when they have a very limited budget doesn't make good business sense on the one hand. But also there are um, you know, more and more young creatives who are enlightened and who want to Um, sort of broaden their practice and to reach out to people who genuinely need their design skills and need their service. They don't want to kind of 
uh, have to fit into a market that is just so unthinking um, and so kind of recognizing of services that could be provided. So I'm seeing that because uh, I work in fashion education a lot. But you asked me to, to tell a little bit about myself. Um, certainly from uh, 2009, I've always been very vocal about the fashion industry's promotion of unachievable body ideals, specifically on behalf of women, um, but also recognizing that uh, men also are now under increasing pressure to conform to a very narrow ideal of masculinity. And in 2009, I, I you know, I had felt to myself, well, I've been in this industry for nearly um, was coming up to 30 years at that point and um, I don't see it getting any better and I'm going to challenge it so I created co-founded a campaign called All Walks Beyond the Catwalk uh, with the international supermodel Erin O'Connor and um, a PR expert um, uh, called Deborah Bourne and we made a, a big sort of lobbying campaign it was all unwaged and unfunded um, where we were not just talking to our own industry but we were we had outreach to mental health experts to government ministers we worked a lot with joe swinson and lynn featherston when they held the minister of uh, equalities positions and we worked with big organizations like girl guides who have a quarter of a million young women in their membership to, to, to really provide the tools to, and the language to challenge this unhealthy ideal that fashion promotes. And within that, broaden the way that it promotes what we see in our fashion imagery to include um, a much broader spectrum of size, age, skin tone, faith. Now, what I didn't foresee because I thought I've spent most of my career challenging fashion people not to use desperately thin models. I thought they would rally against it as they always did do. And that when I was asked, did I think we, when it would be, we would see people with um, body difference, visible disability on the catwalk. I said, I don't know if we will see that. I don't know if, you know, fashion designers um, are going to be flexible enough since, you know, for me, it's been a, a you know, 25, 30 year battle to, to, to just challenge you, the use of very thin models. Um, but I'm just thrilled to say that that has begun, those barriers have begun to be broken down. So we have people like Kelly, Kelly Knox on the catwalk, who um, is a model with a missing forearm, Jack Ayres, who is a model who wears a prosthetic leg. And I have seen imagery of models in wheelchairs. Um, and um, further than that, we, ha we do have people in the industry like uh, Samantha Bullock, who has started her own range she is um, a f um i think she is uh, certainly a, a an olympian um a, a top athlete sorry i'm struggling for the correct name for what it is that that she um does but she also um in a wheelchair has created her own range of clothing understanding what is needed 
for people with body difference and it's inclusive so it's not just aimed at people with body difference or disabilities that they're living with it's aimed at everybody but it takes in an understanding around fastenings and there are specific garments that you can buy that you would wear should you need you know it's adaptive clothing she's one person who has she's called sb designs she's on instagram and then i came across another young woman who has made her own company it's called the able label and hers is clothing that addresses people uh, people's needs when they have very little finger strength or little very little movement um uh, of their limbs so getting dressed is is thought out you know you don't have to sort of lift your arms up and struggle pulling something over your head buttons behind you um so i'm very excited to think that uh we do have we do have kind of young in, innovative people out there doing stuff and on top of that, we now have the big brands looking at what they're doing. And that's an area that big brands are talking about. I think that's such a positive result. And you would have been right at the sort of start of that with all the campaigning work that you've done. And lo and behold, you know, the fashion designers and the young people that are coming up are making these real positive tracks to try and address those and I know exactly that fastening the buttons mm. to put on a shirt forget it mm. <laughs> so mm. you know it's just elastic all the way or velcro and yes. um, it's really it's really important I think that this adaptable clothing is starting to come to the fore so that is all really really interesting stuff and I think um, the work that you've done around the diversity and challenging that making that first step to make the challenge and seeing where it's gone we're seeing where it's gone so far it's great um, it's exciting so it is and certainly what i've seen is that you know the normalizing body difference is vital for all of us so obviously being seen and being visible uh, presents its own um, kind of benefits but for people who were unaware of their health privileges to see a range of a, a sort of a, a presentation of a spectrum of humanity is there are benefits for everyone so that we can begin to see a situation in where we are all you know, we all come under the umbrella of humanity. I think there are an awful lot of people who, you know, we all engage in social comparison. And too often, people's uh, aspirations are so unachievable because of the post-production work that is done on fashion imagery, even mass media imagery now, and the celebrity lifestyles that are promoted. You know, they have huge amount of followers. And of, of course, the um, the normalisation of sort of augmented augmentation of appearance, cosmetic surgery, that mm. that young women, particularly young women, who are incredibly susceptible to ideas of what it is to be to appear attractive, 
um, when they can see a broader range of body and beauty ideals, this impacts really positively on their mental health um, and reminds them that it's not about aiming for this unachievable body ideal that, you know, 0. I don't know, percent of humankind naturally achieves. And, and on top of that, for us all to know that, and I've spent a lifetime with very beautiful human beings who we look at and think, well, life must be really hunky-dory for you because you've been blessed with this incredible appearance and good health. But those people have the same uh, health, uh, mental health issues, the same kind of worries about who they are and are they good enough. Um, they, they don't kind of... They don't walk around feeling ultra great because that's their normal. So I'm, I'm not asking us all to feel um, huge amounts of empathy for them in particular, but I'm just saying that we put this stuff onto people, don't we? Mm. Um, about um, we make an assumption when we look at them about how they're living their life and that, you know, especially if they're attractive. And there are many studies that show that, you know, attractive people are awarded with all kinds of undeserved sort of ranking. But that doesn't mean to say that they're living that life. We, yeah, we're putting them on a pedestal, aren't we? Yeah, it's what yeah. we project onto, our, onto them, uh, you know, but also onto ourselves. You know, self-image is a hugely powerful tool. And you know, mm. that's, that's something that does fascinate me. Mm. So that sort of leads me quite nicely onto the the next question about self-image and identity and it intrigues me as to your thoughts about how can a disabled person like myself so not necessarily a wheelchair user but they've got um, things that are making them feel unhappy about their appearance how can they either maintain their identity or carve a new identity for themselves so you know this is the the question that that everybody asks you know when people come out of relationships the you know women especially the first thing they look to do is redefine themselves visibly when we go into a work environment and we want to impress we you know pay a lot of attention to what the clothing is that that will do that when we when we go out for a special occasion you know more often than not we've put a great deal of effort into what we what we want to to wear but choosing clothing is an act of self-expression no matter what we think about say fashion and trend and um you know that that's a separate aside and you know that's the industry talking to itself and trying to trigger people to buy more clothes but the act of making choices personal choices about our style is one of the most self-empowering things that we can do so recognizing that um and and studies show that we read someone in under a second we take a very quick kind of visual image of them and our brain has already made all kinds of assumptions based on what we're seeing um, and you know some of those are sort of obvious things you know the minute we look at someone we could place their age 
um, even if we did, if we were shown a picture for, it's a tenth of a second that psychologists found that we can make a huge amount of assumptions. But so we could have a picture um, flashed up at us. We would know their age. We would get a sense of their emotional disposition by what the expression they were wearing on their face. And we'd have an understanding of how they felt about themselves by what they were wearing. Because, you know, the biggest part of our body is covered in cloth. We have face and neck kind of for people to read um, and then most of it is covered in cloth and so those are the choices that we can be fully in control of and some of the cliches stand true you know suiting and tailoring delivers authority and power dressing color delivers spontaneity and emotional sensation we cannot help but respond to bright color um, and similarly, dark color delivers a certain sense of uh, sobriety and, and again, authority, but, you know, the, the mood is very different. Pattern, we, you know, the playfulness of pattern, the rhythm that pattern can suggest, and the punctuation that, that pattern can suggest. We, we take all these things and we, if, if we say to ourselves, it doesn't matter what I wear, I don't care what I wear. Um, we, we do do ourselves a great disservice. So I would say um, clearly we all work within our own framework. Um, you know, ask anybody and they'd say, well, I really like the color red, but it doesn't suit my coloring. So I choose this or I'd really love to be able to wear those shoes but i can't stay upright in them so i don't um, but within that we can make a huge amount of choices men and women and i would say to male listeners at this point um, you know women are a kind of highly visually literate and they notice your choice of clothing um, and and that clothes can be a great conversation starter that's one of the things that I use clothes for where I can interact with someone and say, Oh, I love the color that you're wearing or oh, I love the, you know, the way you've put that together or that's a fantastic jacket. Where did you get that from? I can have that conversation with any stranger, any time of the day. And once they've answered that question, I've gotten in to then move on to something else because I know that I've, I have opened the conversation on a positive note and they feel noticed and they feel complimented. Who doesn't like that? And then I can carry on talking. And so, you know, in these times where we're looking to make authentic connections with people, clothes give us that in. So when we know that our clothes have that power, the choices we make to get dressed can become purposeful and so we can i would say to anybody who's singing yeah but how do i start that okay so create a capsule wardrobe for yourself so that you have a minimum of clothes that you know work so you might have something that works on your bottom half whatever it would be trousers or a skirt jeans sort of maxi dress maxi skirt whatever it is that you actually think, yeah, I'm safe with this. This is really comfortable. It has the waistband that I need. Um, 
I'm going to look for more of this type of garment. I'm, I'm just explaining this in a very simple way. Um, so that then you can say to yourself, now, on the top, because this is what draws everybody's attention to my face and my expression, and this is how I will communicate my, my inner self through my face and my mood and my eyes. So the top that I want to wear, I want to give people a sense that I am optimistic. So I might choose something. For men, it can be as simple as a block color um, shirt or polo shirt or piece of knitwear. Um, but similarly, if you really like your garments, guys, you know, you know, you can style it up with much more than that. Um, my husband loves big fabric, colorful scarves and big swathes of fabric. And um, he often gets women commenting about, oh, it's a really lovely color. I don't think I've seen a man wearing magenta for a long time. And he's like, he can talk all the way to work if he's sitting on the tube, for instance, you know, based on his choice of scarf in the morning. Um, but it's the same for women in that when I'm sort of looking at people I don't know, I, am, I make connections with people through feeling that their clothes are an invitation to me to make a connection. So it can be as simple as keeping sort of the bottom half plain and simple but then choosing garments that allow you to to talk about what an optimistic person you are what an open-minded person you are through your choice of color or pattern and the, the small details on clothing never underestimate just the small things like a for women a sort of lace insert or um some specific sort of focus or detail pattern um necklines are a vital necklines give us a sense of that person emerging from their clothes and proportions you know where the garment ends on your body it may be that actually especially if you are spending a big um sort of part of your time sitting down that you don't want a garment to sort of um, wrinkle up around your tummy and hips and you do choose to get it shortened because mm. it um, gives you a much straighter line all these things are choices and most people if they feel I don't know if I'm confident to make choices about that. We'll have a friend who is <laughs> and <laughs> is very happy to say that suits you. And this is why that suits you. That doesn't. And that looks good on you, but the, the sleeves need shortening or so it's one of those things that, you know, we, we can, if we choose bring center, um, into the center of our lives and get better at it. I've probably gone on at length there, haven't I? But you know, you did ask a, cl a, a clothes enthusiast um, a question <laughs> that I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I could carry on for the next hour if you want, but <laughs> probably best not to. <laughs> oh gosh. No, but it's all great. And there's lots and lots of ideas and tips that you've just spoken about um that's something that i do try to do is put something that's a little bit quirky somewhere not when we're in lockdown and you know sitting in my garden yeah i think it's really important 
to just yeah. think about an item that can express you. Yes. There are also studies that show that not only do we convey to other people information about ourselves through our clothing, but we can actually affect our own mood and our own brain cognitions um, because of our, it's the sort of dual uh, actions of our perception of that garment and the wearing of it. So that when we put something on that we associate with, right, I'm going to be doing some meetings today or I'm going to be speaking to someone on FaceTime or on Zoom. This has always been a great top for me. You know, I love the way I look in it. Um, it looks quite, you know, it has a sort of executive feel to it. It has a nice fit to it. But we, it's, it's like an athlete putting on their gear. It's like a doctor putting on his lab coat, a policeman. Look at that, that's sexism there. A doctor putting on his lab coat. Um, a doctor putting on their lab coat. Uh, it runs deep, doesn't it? <laughs> um, it does. It does, those biases. Um, I'm going to take myself off and smack my bottom now. Um, <laughs> hear that sound? <laughs> um, but, um, you know, um, a police officer putting on her uniform. There we are, we've righted it. Um, you know, we perceive ourselves to be, when we're in um, that type of clothing, we perceive ourselves to be more effective than we would if we were just sat there in our pajamas and it's called enclosed cognition and it is a you know it is a psychological finding that actually putting something on that we have previously felt good in will work its magic when we put it on again and you know mm. that's why i think of my my friends my clothes as friends um my friends aren't clothes my clothes are friends <laughs> 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 so could something as could something as simple as having a favourite hat or a favourite scarf make that difference? Yes, there there are also other psychological concepts called essentialism, um, which is where because of the story of that garment, like it might be as you say a favourite scarf, it's brought us good luck in the past. It might have been a special gift. It might have been you know, passed down to us from a, a much-loved relative, that we imbue that, that special garment, let's say it's a scarf, um, with the qualities of those experiences or that person that has passed it down to us. And so when we wrap ourselves in it, we feel automatically um, we take on some of that understanding i mean a good example um for me is you know maybe to give it is um, my husband travels a lot and um he's aware a lot he's a, a documentary filmmaker and not all the time but you know sometimes when i just feel oh i wish you were here what a, what a horrible day it's been today i just wish you were here i will put his jumper on in the evening and make him be there you know, mm. it's 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 a it's a just a gar woolen garment, but it makes me feel better. That's how powerful mm. clothes are. Yeah, interesting. It's exciting. But I also con <laughs> I definitely concur with everything you've said. I mean, I know that if I'm in my pajamas, 
and I spend a lot of time in my PJs. Um, and I'm deciding that I'm going to speak to people. I am not nearly as effective as when I have put some lippy on mm -hmm. and put my shirt on or whatever I'm going to put on. So, you know, I've, I've experienced it. Yeah. And I've yeah. experienced deciding to wear a yellow top for the purpose of lifting my mood. Yeah. And everybody else is around you. People love bright colour. And I bet you've, you know, if you have connected with people, I bet that they have gone, whoa, what a bright colour. You know, it's like it's, it's, it lifts us all, doesn't it? The other yeah. thing, because I, I was um, looking up, and, which I wasn't, I wasn't surprised to learn, but I didn't think about it. And yet I do do it for that because I did it coming to talk to you. I put some, my favourite perfume on to talk to you. And I, oh. did it to, I did it to kind of sharpen my mind that I was talking about image. And that was one of the things that came up for both men and women is that um, a fragrance that, that they like, not just any old fragrance, not just something that they got given for Christmas and it's like, but that they have taken the time to you know to choose and like and that again that fragrance is something that they have worn um on other occasions so putting it on feels celebratory um and putting it on feels feels a, a recognition of a special sense of self that that also both in men and women was was high up on the list of of things that make makes us feel better Mm, that is really interesting, and it's definitely not something that I've ever considered. Oh, wow. There so, you go. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the feeling really of connecting with ourselves, taking time to be mindful of the body that we're in and the, you know, the interaction that we're going to have and the way we want to people to see us is, you know, maybe something that really would only take a few minutes each day as we were cleaning our teeth. But usually we're not mindful. So we're cleaning our teeth thinking, I've got to take the bins out. And, oh, God, I didn't make that phone call. <laughs> you know, if you're anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But actually doing that when you clean your teeth and thinking, I'm, I'm really looking forward to celebrating myself today. Uh, you don't have to have a reason. You know, mm -hmm. we are our, you know, most important relationship we'll ever have is the one we have with ourselves. I say that to my mm -hmm. daughters all the time. They're sick of it. <laughs> it's so true. But I love that idea of celebrating ourselves mm. and just each day telling ourselves that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Let's celebrate ourselves and celebrate what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what we are going to do. One of the things I think COVID might have given so many of us is a sense of we don't have to be out there in the world making a big noise. Being at home, as we all are, and ringing people up to say, how are you? Um, and, you know, thinking about the things that we can feel grateful for. And anybody in, well... For many of us in the industrialized world, when we look at the way this has impacted people in uh, 
very low income development developing countries you know for them it's a matter of you know the average person has got less than um one pound in savings in many of the developing countries so they just don't have any buffer and wages mm -hmm. are being withheld by industrialized countries um certainly in the fashion industry um just a little bugbear and we are talking about clothes so i'm just gonna broaden that is you know certainly what i'm seeing in my industry at the moment is lots of young designers small businesses all turning over their studios you know just going in there on their own um sewing masks sewing ppe gear um sewing scrubs i think sitting at home and recognizing what we do have and what we can do from our homes to be of service to others and to keep things going um you know that uh, for me that's been a huge time for for mindfulness and ringing up people that i wouldn't norm you know normally find the time to ring up and you know we're all incredibly mm -hmm. um it, when we become mindful um you know we get a sense of what we really can do I think that's that's got to be the, the sort of key takeaway from all of this is to spend that time and be mindful about the decisions that you're making Absolutely. to enhance Absolutely. your day and to enhance other people's days. Yes. When we're talking, when we're talking remotely or on video or whatever it might be, it, clothes are so powerful. They are. And they are and and i think people often make uh, an assumption that something as insignificant and superficial as clothing is has you know very little to contribute and i think that's the the beauty of it as well is that um when you realize that it really is that simple to to make a choice that speaks to others um, in a positive way, that that's very empowering, you know, in itself. I would, I would love to see a situation in which clothing was um, degendered, so that you know, uh, many of us who sort of exist on the spectrum of what it is to be human don't feel that we have to exist in the polar sort of extremes: hyperfeminine, hypermasculine. Um, you know, certainly I move around in communities where uh, people, humans, use clothes in a very different way. So, like fashion shows that I've been to have been put together by, for instance, the trans community who have, you know, who rely upon clothing to help people identify them in the way that they want to be identified. But I've also worked with, um, you know, I worked with one man who was a crossdresser, who was a cisgender, um, sort of heterosexual male, but who felt very restrained by being kind of restricted to uh, a life that was, a, you know, an, and an expression that was... Um, so limiting and so for him being able to move around freely in female clothes was very very liberating 
uh, I think Grace and Perry is a very interesting human being. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But Grace and Perry. Because actually, you know, what we often have is, you know, clothes get used as uniforms just for gender. So if you step out of your gender uniform, you're somehow, um, you know, doing the wrong thing. You know, there could be some very extreme kind of judgments made on men for instance, who would choose to dress in a more feminine way. But I've, I've seen the power of clothing um, in other ways too, having worked with people who have experienced childhood trauma and who want to dress in a certain way that, you know, where clothing becomes a comfort blanket and armour in the same way, wanting to know how to use clothing to help themselves mm. feel protected and, and for their own self-concept you know self-concept is what we think about ourselves and self-image is how we present ourselves and you know the two are you know two very important elements of um you know what leads us to make that choice and to pull something off the the rail um to buy or to wear mm. so a lot of it is what is going on psychologically that is putting you down a certain route and informing some of the decisions um yeah conditioning and perception of self sort of learned um rules about how we may appear um you know mood varies from day to day you know but we do have societal rules which um in in certain places you know where there are sort of faith beliefs or um, membership beliefs to certain ways of thinking the rules get very strict and can be very repressive but I would say that even when we look at gender and the way in which um, you know especially little boys express interest in women's clothes in girls clothes in in beautiful fabrics in colors in soft um mm. sort of textural feelings and are denied that experience because of society's expectations of what masculinity must you know conform to i certainly think as, as young girls have more of an opportunity to experience themselves in um, football kit and filthy jeans and ballerina outfits without anybody making judgments but you know I'm talking to mums who say that you know they they're worried that somehow their sons will be um, will receive threats if they take those choices outside of the house and they're not wrong are yeah they? no I think I think from a little boy's perspective I think it is very, very limiting. And why would they not be absolutely excited by the prospect of a girl's clothing and velvet or lace or flounciness or whatever it might be? You can, have, you can totally understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And why they just wouldn't want to wear that whenever. And, mm. you know, but these, these kind of, we have strict societal rules about that, don't we? So, mm. so clothing, you know, just coming back to how powerful clothing can be, um, um, how liberating and how restrictive, you know, it's all in our, 
our perceptions, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and I think we've got, it is at our sort of bequest to use clothes to help with everything that we're feeling as a barrier. There's that, and I, and I think that there is a job to be done by corporations who, you know, we touched on it at the beginning of this talk, who, mm. are, um, who are, are clearly looking at markets that they would like to uh, address. And if they do it well enough, then, you know, that means they are providing a good service. But, uh, you know, my uh, thing is always to encourage them to do it from merely a human inclusivity perspective is that, you know, we are all different and that it can be really, really um, liberating and important for, certainly for young, you know, children to see themselves in imagery if they have body difference or for us to normalise body difference. I think that's, a, you know, look at the... Um, the changes that you know everyone is campaigning for for um, architectural access you know it just it would be unheard of now that a building would be designed without that being thought through um, but mm. you know there are many old buildings who are still very prohibitive um, because it just hasn't been thought of we you know we are expanding as a society in terms of our appreciation of body difference um, and that can only be a good thing because if, if able-bodied people are coming from a perspective of, I don't need to know about this because it doesn't affect me, they are, um, you know, they, they could, they're coming from a position of, of ignorance, obviously, but how, what a sense of entitlement. How can they know what, what course their body will take in years to come? Mm. that that if we're not building an inclusive society we all lose out Mm. and do you think that that is something that is a combination of the media and the industry and then the end end users do you think it's a combination of all those people that are going to bring about those changes is there any one way um, everybody has a part to play don't they i mean i would say mm-hmm. that you know i got given the gift of education through my daughter's father um who we were very young when he was diagnosed with um a, you know quite a um a severe form of ms and if it wasn't for him i don't think i would have understood uh, so clearly my own kind of you know my own privilege my own health privilege um so that you know gave me an opportunity to see things differently and to look at to go into my industry and to look at how you know at the time we were portraying bodies and and begin the conversation well it's you know it's taken me sort of uh certainly i mean you know decades really to from to kind of feel like we are seeing change and then there are plenty of other people not not just me plenty of other people who have gone in and sort of said their piece and we can continue to do that as individuals but coming together collectively 
so that for instance i don't know if, if listeners know this but you know if you were to see something in mass media particularly in advertising and you were to feel that you know it was it was not representative or it wasn't it was not it may be sort of promoting a message of inclusivity but it was inauthentic or that you felt you know women were represented wrongly or you know certainly the hypersexualization of women in our media is is something for us all to think we can make a um, a challenge to um then you know you can actually lodge that with the um asa as something that they need to to look at a really good example of how effective we can be um is the um uh or was it beach body ready advert which many women may remember and um i along with many others complained about that because um i felt it was objectifying it was reducing a woman to a physical appearance and we didn't know her story we didn't know who she was what she stood for what she'd achieved in her life all we were shown was that she had a body that was um a measurement for success and the advertising standards authority received nearly 400 complaints for that and yet they didn't take it down and so there continued to be complaints because at the time i was told it conformed to existing standards and so as a result of that they had a complete overhaul um to bring in new rulings that recognized that where the person depicted in the ad in this instance a woman said that they found it offensive that they that was um a space for them to then decide whether they would uphold that or not and so you know as a result of people complaining there was you know a massive overhaul the findings of which they announced in parliament you know it was it was widely reported on but it was all individual women who complained it's only because mm. um you know i was i was following that up as a piece of research that i kept on phoning in and i you know i went in and gave my own evidence around objectification as part of the study that i was working on at the time um and the evidence that i'd found but as individuals we can be incredibly effective yeah just need to have that tenacity yeah to see things through not belief yeah yeah wow we have really really covered an awful lot around the power of how we dress and clothes and involve other people so i'm feeling pretty blown away by everything we've talked about karen thank you great i'm really pleased about that and and to anybody listening yep i know i do get on one once you know <laughs> once i've started it's hard to shut me up so remember you can just switch me off <laughs> oh Rolf, thank you ever so much for joining us karen my pleasure, my pleasure, and um, great idea. Congratulations on your podcast idea. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you'd like to get more involved with the MS show, why not join our Facebook community? Just search Facebook for the MS show. Come back soon for another dose 
MS information and inspiration. You've been listening to the MS Show podcast.